Uh, if you got a Bible, we will you will be at Mark 1, 21 through 28. I think it's on page 699. She what? She had a new cell phone? Oh, she's using her, your cell phone. And uh, I thought we'd take a trip down memory lane a little bit. And when I mean memory lane, I want to go back to kind of some of the early. Does anybody like just think back on the kind of COVID years and be like, Good. Anybody think back like on the COVID years and just be like, wait, what happened? That was what? Did anybody just kind of think back in some of those periods of time and be like, we were doing, and do you, uh, sometimes I think back, I want to take a trip back down to memory lane. Because to me, one of the most fascinating questions really that I began to think about as COVID kind of um, developed and expanded and our response to it was this question of authority, right? Was this question of authority? And you know, example, for example, we could talk about, I don't even know, do I still have a mask in here? I'm sure there's a mask somewhere. <laughs> Probably. Whatever. I thought I had one in there. Okay, let's talk about masks, right? So let's use masks as an example, kind of, because that was obviously a flashpoint during COVID was the whole masking thing, right? And when I began to think about this, and there was a lot of other scenarios that we could examine when we think about COVID and, right, and think about authority, but say at, the, say at the top, so to speak, of the food chain, right, at the top of the top would be who? President. The president. Yeah, you're on it. Come on. You're ready, right? Okay, here we go. Right? The president, right? And the president, I <laughs> got this is a great <laughs> just a great picture, right, about masks, right? So the president, you know, say at the top of the, the food chain, and he might give a certain directive. Here is a quote from President Trump. I didn't put it up here. But Trump said, he said, I think masks are okay. You have to understand if you look, I mean, I have a mask right here. I put a mask on when I think I need it. And I think kind of early on, especially in COVID, he was kind of really ambivalent almost against masks. Like, hey, if you need it, you wear it. If you don't, right, you don't have to do it. So you would have this kind of coming, so to speak, from the top of the top, Right. And then, say, a little bit closer to home might be our governor, right, Gavin Newsom, right? And Gavin Newsom would say this. He would say, um, we also put out updates on mask wearing, encouraging people, particularly those who use cloth masks, to consider using an additional mask and double masking, right? So you have somebody at the top saying, like, hey, you know, if you kind of want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask. And then the guy kind of below him, at least for our state, says, hey, you know, you probably really should double mask, right? Um, then there was this whole scenario, too, where there was this pretty strict mandate. And again, this was coming from Newsom, right? And then do you remember this? This Anybody know who this guy is over here on the left? I don't know if I'd be able to pick him up. Sheriff, uh, Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes, right? It's kind of the sheriff of Orange County, Don Barnes, right? And he came out, right, because... There was Trump said, eh, whatever. And then there was Newsom says, like, yes, you have to mask, double mask. Like, this is a law. It's a requirement. And then Don Barnes came out and said, we are not the mask police, nor do I intend to be the mask police. I know that there is an order, but our deputies always have resulted or falling back on education first to take appropriate measures. But we are not, have not dealt with those issues through, or, but we are not and have not dealt with those issues through enforcement, and I'm not going to direct my staff 
to enforce the mask mandate. Do you remember this? Right? And again, I'm, I, this was fascinating for me. I loved who has the authority. Right? So then you kind of come from the top. And again, we could dissect every single layer. Right? You kind of come from the top to the governor to this. Right? And then really where do we kind of all end up? Right? Where do we all kind of end up on the mask? Right? Here's, here's me wearing a mask. This is how I did it. I got out my Donald Trump president predicto, and I said, Trump, should I wear a mask? I think so. <laughs> right? And if I was going to the restaurant, hey, Trump, should I wear a mask? We, this is a white elephant gift that somebody gave me. It's like sits in our hallway closet, and we just bust out. Max, I bet you would like this. Max, did you have a good birthday yesterday? Yes. <laughs> it works every time. I mean, it really is. The guys, I don't know how they, oh, here's one more. Okay, so anyway, this is how I thought it would be fun. We'd have a little levity. But we kind of started from the top to Newsom to, and you kind of like, at the end of the day, we kind of came down and said, I'll wear a mask when I want to wear a mask, right? It was kind of this individual kind of authority, like I'll make this decision, I'll, I'll understand. And honestly, um, honestly, probably the biggest decision was not, well, let me pause. But this, this, this chain of authority, right, which was fascinating, and this played out not only with masks, right, social distancing, again, another one of those things. Remember you'd go to a store and there'd be a dot here, and then there'd be a dot over here, and then, you know what I mean? There'd be like all these dots. There was, there was a, that kind of whole social distancing. There was, there was, and I, again, I started like researching some of this stuff and thinking back. There was the Thanksgiving rules. Do we remember the Thanksgiving rules? Where there was a mandate that you cannot gather with more than two families or something like that. And it had to be outside. And, you know, um, there was a directive about singing and chanting in church. Like that was, you know, and, and again, who has the authority to, to make that happen, to say that that happens? Uh, there was the shelter in place. There was the, the beach regulation. Anybody remember the beach regulations? I remember Robin and I, we went to the beach one time, and our kids were running around, and we sat down on the beach. And that was a time when you couldn't sit down on the beach. You had to keep moving. You remember this, right? And we had a lifeguard come up and say, hey, you, you can't sit down. You have to get up and keep moving around, right? And again, there was just, there was all these kind of directives, guidelines, mandates, and it was really interesting to see who had the authority, right, where the authority went. Um, and not only were there the mandates, but then you had, you know, I'm probably going too far on this, you had all the voices, right? You had all the voices that were, were coming in here. You had, you had Trump, and you had Dr. Fauci, you had the CDC, you had your governor, we had local state guidelines, you had enforcement, you had schools, right, school boards, you had different businesses had policies, you would get news and social media, and it was all these mandates, all these voices, all this kind of different authority. But man, you know, we go back to this, this kind of question about authority, and we live in a time, Tim Keller puts it like this, I thought this was fascinating, he says, he says, one of the root ideas of modernity, right, is the overturning of all authority outside of the self. Think about that for a second. One of the 
root ideas of modernity is the overturning of all authority outside of the self. In the 18th century European, quote, enlightenment, right? And this, this, even though we're thinking like, okay, that's 300 years ago. In this, in that century, that, that still ripples into how we think and act now. Thinkers insisted that the modern person must question all tradition, revelation, and external authority by subjecting them to the supreme court of his or her own reason and intuition, Right? You are your own personal supreme court. You make the authority. We are our own moral authority. And this kind of thinking has, has shaped us. And this kind of thinking, again, I was so, I don't know if anybody else thought about this during COVID, but I was always fascinated. Like, okay, who has the authority? Who makes the call? Who listens to who? Who do we submit to, right? So I get to this because in this passage in Mark, Jesus, Jesus is claiming authority, Right? Jesus is going to claim authority, and he's going to claim authority over two different things. He's going to claim authority over the Torah, right? Um, the kind of Old Testament, the, the Bible that he would have grown up reading. And then also he's going to claim authority in the spiritual realm. So he's going to have these, these kind of two um, claims of authority that he's going to put out there. So if you got a Bible, again, Mark 1, 21 through 28, it's on page 699. Short little passage. And let's read it uh, as we do. Let's read it in the round. So somebody start us off on verse 21 and we'll read a verse or, or two and then we'll go around. Capernaum, great. The Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. People were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Joel, you play a, a fine, you do a fine voiceover for an evil spirit. Thank you, Joel. <laughs> I was, gonna, I was wondering who was going to be the voiceover for the evil spirit this morning. Now, who wants to be the voiceover for Jesus? Come on, somebody step it up. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out. Came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? Good. So we th- see this theme of authority again. Jesus is, is, is teaching with authority. He's also claiming authority over evil spirits, right? Um, and I want to talk, I want to talk two things this morning. Uh, I think I want to talk a little bit about kind of, I think the elephant in the passage is the demon possessions and how do we think about demons and those sorts of things. And then I, I started like jamming on demons and I was getting down like some latter pages and I'm like, man, I haven't talked about authority. I spent this whole time setting up authority, but I have a couple things to say at authority, but demon possession, demons, and authority at the, at the kind of very end. I think one of the first things that you will encounter throughout the, the, the book of Mark, and when you read the Gospels in general, I think this is really interesting to point out, um, is that 
everybody is always a bit fuzzy about who Jesus is, except the demons, these unclean spirits. They always seem to know, they seem to always know exactly who he is, right? And we're going to encounter some demon possession, especially when he goes across the lake into the regions of the Gerasenes, right? And there's that man, he lives among the tombs and he's like ripping chains off and he's demon possessed and he encounters Jesus, right? Everybody's like, but the disciples are like, well, yeah, we don't know who you are. Are you a prophet? Are you, the, are you like Elijah, John the Baptist? Like, I don't know who you are. Like, are you the Messiah, right? Like the people are always kind of confused about who Jesus is. Jesus encounters the demons. They're like, oh yeah, I know who you are, right? You're the Holy One. You're the Son of God. We, I know exactly who you are. There's something really to be said about, like, like that's, that's kind of a, a little bit of a, I, I know this isn't very articulate, but it's a bit kind of a trip, right? That like, they know who Jesus is, right? The demons understand and, and have, know who he is and know the authority that he has. So it's really int- interesting and important to point out um, that, that Jesus is, is really known to all these unclean spirits. And we're going to see this not only in the book of Mark, if you were to go to other gospels, Matthew, Luke, John, the same kind of encounter happens where the demons are like, yeah, I know, I know who you are, right? Um, a couple things about, about demons um, because I think, again, this is the elephant in the passage, you know, like, oh, what about the demons? Like, how do we explain demons? How do we think about demons, especially here in the West? Um, the, the demons, uh, a couple, a couple of mistakes that I'm going to say that we're going to, that we make right now in the modern, in the West, um, about demons. Okay. I would say here's two, I, I meant to put one on each side, but we'll, we'll talk about these two. Number one is that demons exist in remote primitive locations. Now, we don't probably consciously think about this, but we subtly think about this, right? Where, where, where do we see exorcisms and demons being cast out and, you know, I, I was praying and then this demon, where do we think about that, right? I'll give you a list. Africa, South America, jungles, villages, tribes, poor areas, Right? In the modern West, in our developed modern kind of Western, scientifically developed areas, nah, there's no demon possession here, right? We always kind of, we always kind of project the demons are somewhere else, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, those, those kind of primitive places where people kind of believe superstitious stuff and all that, right? Am I right on that? Again, maybe not consciously, like, oh, yeah, that's how I believe. Subtly, that kind of seeps into our, our thought patterns about demons. We don't, we don't got to worry about that here, right? That happens like, you know, you got to take a plane and fly to Peru, and then you got to get on a bus from Peru, and you got to go up into the mountains, and from the mountains, you got to hike seven miles. And there's this little remote tribe, and that primitive tribe, they believe in, in, in demons, right? Um, so we, we make the mistake to think, this is a mistake, number one, that demons exist in remote primitive locations, right? The second mistake that we make is that demon possession is dramatic and exotic, right? It's spectacular. It's the Hollywoodized encounters of the exorcist, right? Or the another one was the, I, I was like, you know, movies about demons. Can anybody else name any movies about demons? Movies about demons. Can you think about many movies about No. 
No. I guess there was the Keanu. Yeah, the Johnny, you would probably be our one to. There was the Keanu Reeves movie, Constantine, where I think, I mean, like, that kind of was like, I, I, again, I had to Google it to think of, like, oh, yeah, okay, The Exorcist is about demons. Constantine, Keanu Reeves is, like, fighting them with guns and, you know, blowing things up. We think that, you know, demon possession, and then we kind of get these images of, like, I don't know, these kind of exotic, dramatic, spectacular images of that's what a demon possession looks like, right? Um, I won't pause here for a second reading, studying, and thinking about this, Tim Gombas, in his commentary on Mark, he makes this really fascinating kind of interjection here about, about demon possession. And he, he, he says that it's a bit more mundane. It's minor. It's a bit more habitual. So here's how I'm going to quote him from his commentary, and then we'll, we'll talk about it for a second, right? He says, it's easy to think that anger and resentment are so common that demonic involvement seems outlandish. Yet consider how irrationally we behave when we cultivate resentment. We can hardly think straight, and our desires for revenge become overpowering. We use phrases like, what's gotten into him, right? Man, something has come over her. She is a completely different person. I don't even recognize that person, right? Let me say that sentence again. We can hardly think straight and our desires for revenge become overpowering. We become violent and abusive and the devastating, long-lasting, and far-reaching effects of unchecked anger and jealousy, he says, are just awful. They're evil, right? And he, he again, kind of goes into this, and this is a larger section in his commentary, which I'll try and condense a little bit. Um, but he just talks about how we just think, oh, yeah, everybody has anger. Everybody has a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of resentment, bitterness. Like, ah, oh, it's just kind of part of the human condition. Um, but he, he says that, he says that like, these things, the way that they grow and fester in us, right? Consider how irrationally, how crazy, how wild you become when you cultivate resentment and bitterness and angry. I don't know what's gotten into that person, right? Now, the thing about... Gombas's point of view and the way that Gombas is describing it and he kind of makes demon possession again very mundane kind of minor kind of habitual the one thing I, I I kind of push back on a little bit is it just appeases our modern western kind of psychological focus sensibilities right and I don't want us to just excuse kind of demonic possession to like oh you know just poor choice making um, but I was like, I was really thought about this because I think that there's something really to be kind of gleaned and learned here um, about the way that our choices, bitterness, anger, resentment, control, greed, jealousy, right? All those sorts of things about the way that our choices have this really spiritual dynamic that shapes our souls, right? Um, C.S. Lewis would put it like this in one of his most popular quotes he says every time you make a choice you are turning the central part of you the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before and then this the great line you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or to a hellish creature right 
And this is, this is what Lewis is, you know, Lewis and Gombas are kind of saying the same things. As we make these choices towards anger, you're turning yourself a little bit more towards a hellish creature. As you make a choice towards forgiveness, you're turning yourself a little bit more towards a heavenly creature, right? And so we, we kind of constantly make these choices. And again, this kind of is like, oh, okay, well, demon possession isn't that big of a deal. It's just me and my choices. Kind of, but as we make these choices, we're either opening ourselves up more towards one side or opening ourselves up more towards the other side, right? So again, demons exist in remote primitive location. This kind of mistake that demon possession is dramatic and exotic. Again, I think that we can think about demon possession as mundane, habitual, minor, right? Choices. Uh, this kind of third example is that everything is a demon or a devil, right? We sometimes uh, make this mistake. I would say that this is, this is probably a little bit more popular mom and Pentecostal circles. You guys get a lot of, maybe like old school Pentecostal circles. Yeah. And I'll say that probably, so the last one is that nothing is a demon or devil, right? So these are two mistakes that we make, these kind of two poles. Um, for sure, our, our church, and I think just for sure kind of the modern West for the most part, we make, this is a big mistake on our part, right? That nothing is a demon or a devil. Everything can be explained through psychology. And if I can get you through the right counseling and therapy, right? We don't really take, we don't, we don't take seriously enough, right? That there is the kind of demonic, the devil, the, these evil forces. Um, I had a couple things to say. I think we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, okay, I'll use two examples. One example for the number three is, I knew a person who, oh, okay, this is a good one. Can I use, can I use Allie in his example? Yeah, just don't use your name. Okay. <laughs> uh, Alice, we had, we had a family dinner this week, and we did like this time of high-low, and we had some extended family come over. Alice said, you know, what's your high, what's your low? Her low was that a boy showed her the middle finger. And so, you know, she, you know, this, this boy on the, was it on the bus or on the bus, on the bus flipped her off, right? And this one particular family member said, mm, that boy, we're just going to rebuke the devil out of him. And we are going to, we are going to cleanse and clean spirits. We're going to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Like that spirit that is in that boy that is making him flip you off. We are going to rebuke, you know, and kind of takes this, this spiritual side of it, right? Now, again, the the thing that we would probably and myself too I'll I'll make this mistake right where it's just like eh, he's probably got a poor family life he's not making good choices you know his dad might not be present right and we we can make that mistake on the other side and really it's something in between isn't it it's something in between in this passage wouldn't we be far more comfortable you know hey this this man in the synagogue um instead of saying with an unclean spirit, right, in our modern West, we, again, number four, we would want to say, a man with bipolar disease shouted out, right? A man with Tourette syndrome. Oh, yeah, that explains it. There's not a demon there. It's just, you know, a man, he had a drug-induced psychosis. He was drunk. He was whatever. Shouted out. 
And again, a lot of times for us, we just kind of explain a lot of this away. Um, and we think that with the right pharma, treatment, um, diagnosis, psychology, we can just explain the way of, of the demonic. And honestly, I don't, I know that we, we have to be able to show balance here, maybe is what I'm trying to say. So we make these four mistakes, two corrections, I would say. How are we doing on time? I guess got maybe a couple more things. I was really challenged by this. And again, as I'm thinking about our prayer time too, you know, Paul, one of the great prayers, um, or just one of the great passages in the New Testament, Paul's kind of putting on the armor of God, right? And I want to read that in a second. Um, I had a friend, you guys remember when David and Amy Narrig came and spoke here a couple months ago. And uh, David's, like, every morning before, when kind of growing up in their household, every morning before going to school, they would, quote, unquote, put on the armor of God, right? Like every morning they would just, and it, you know, sometimes it kind of seems a little silly or juvenile or childish. Um, but I was really challenged by, by this passage. I want us to, to read through this um, this morning. Just take us a minute or two. But again, we have to think about who our flesh, who our struggle is against. That's what I was saying about with these prayer requests, right? Who is our struggle against? Right? We don't often, th- we think about the physical, right? The, the sickness and just the kind of challenge and, you know, the, the decision making and all those sorts of things. But we don't often don't go, I would say, even deeper to say, like, man, there is a spiritual battle that's going on down here. If you've got a Bible, let's go to 817 and let's read this together. Let's again read it in the round. Can we just pause? Like that's that's what we got. That's what Jesus is doing here, right? He's battling in these areas, right? And Paul picks up on this. Sorry, keep going. So again, I think, I think as we think about demons, you know, these mistakes that we make, I think that a good correction, again, I was challenged by this myself this week. Man, just routinely, this doesn't have to be every day. I mean, it could be. Like, I was like, yeah, that's something to think about. It could be once a week. Maybe you kind of start your work week. It could be a, a, 
just, you know, something that you incorporate. And I think about the spiritual nature of my battle, right? I got to think about the spiritual nature of my battle. Um, and, and this passage is just, I think it's one of the best passages in the New Testament to think about. I think then the second correction I would make too is um, we have to think about this, that Jesus didn't just come for uh, sin forgiveness, right? But to defeat demonic powers, Satan's rule. Have to think about this. When Jesus encounters the demon, he doesn't just say, you know, he doesn't just say to the man, hey, don't worry about it. Your sins are forgiven, right? He confronts the demon. Uh, the most popular view, I'll just say this for a second. The most popular view of, okay, Jesus on the cross, right? The most popular view that most Christians, especially evangelicals here in the West, we think about is, it's called, I think we've talked about this, penal substitution. We heard about this, this, this thing, right? Penal substitution means that there's a penalty for your sin and Jesus is the substitute, right? So the cross, the cross really is a transaction. It's a little bit of divine child abuse, right? Because God says, well, Eric, you know, Brian, Joel, you guys have this penalty for your sin, but Jesus takes the penalty. He's the substitute for your sin. God pours out all his wrath onto Jesus and therefore you get off scot-free, right? And this, and this is a, it's called a theory of the cross, a theory of atonement, what happens with God, right? And that's important to think about, that, that sin forgiveness, right? That, that Jesus has come to do this, that he's come to take the penalty that we owe for sin, right? And he, he absorbs that on the cross. Another theory of the cross, another theory of atonement is one called Christ the victorious, Christus victor, Right? In which on the cross, how's it going back? They should be in the closet. Oh, the slides are all wet? Everything's I had this thought of like, you know, I'm preaching at this mega church and there's thousands of people out there. <laughs> My daughter just walks on the stage, hey, we don't have any more brown paper bags. I'm like, oh, okay, hold on a second, let me just stop this. <laughs> <laughs> <She's all fast>. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it is so great to be brought down to just to, um, I don't even know where I was. Sin forgiveness, penal substitution. Jesus doesn't just, Jesus comes to defeat demonic powers. And we have to understand he is going to encounter this again and again and again. And he has the last thing that we would talk about this morning, which I think we're a bit out of time, and is, is just the authority, right? Jesus' Jesus's authority is a major theme, and I'll probably be talking about this more and more and more, right? Jesus is claiming authority over the Torah, over the Old Testament, right? Here in one twenty-two, he does it again in 7. Uh, 1 through 13. He's claiming authority over the, the demons, over the unclean spirits. He does it here against this demon. He does it when he encounters a demon uh, amongst the tombs. He claims authority over the Sabbath. He claims authority over forgiveness and sins, being able to forgive. Next chapter, right? When the guy gets lowered through the ceiling and Jesus says, uh, I forgive your sins. And the Pharisees are incensed by this. And he's like, no, no, I have authority on earth to forgive sins, right? 
He claims authority over nature as he calms the storm. He claims authority over the temple. He claims authority over who he's given the mystery of the kingdom of God to. And when you kind of think about, okay, going back all the way to COVID, right? Going all the way back to COVID, we had this slide of, and again, we could go deeper and deeper, but, you know, we had this slide of who has the authority, right? Maybe if, and again, I have more, way more stuff to talk about with this, but we'll, we'll, we'll pause it here. You know, it's like, it's like if you were to take Trump and you were to take Newsom and you were to take kind of state and local law enforcement and you were to take businesses um, and you were to take school boards, news and social media, the, the CDC, the TSA, Costco, your local, you know, like all these people. And you were to just kind of like say, put all that authority into like one person. Like this is kind of the way that Jesus walks through life. I have that, Jesus says, I have that authority. I have the authority of the president. I have the authority of the CDC. I have the authority of the TSA. I have the authority of all the businesses, your school board. I have all that authority. And Jesus, man, he just walks through. And we are, because we want to know when somebody has authority, we want like, oh man, that person has authority and they have knowledge. And it's not like this. Here's the last thing I'll say about this. When we think about Jesus's authority, it's not a, like a dominant authority, I'm going to push you under my thumb, right? It is an authority of grace and of goodness and of life and of flourishing. And that's the authority that Jesus exerts, not only in the Old Testament, or not only in the New Testament of the Gospel of Mark, but in our lives as well. Um, like I said, I feel like I have a bunch more to say, but I want to pause it here. <clears throat> And I want to do a couple questions. Uh, praise, pushback, and the problems. Just using that Tim Keller quote about kind of we've put authority like out there. How does that shift affect our relationship? So maybe in the church, maybe with others, with God. What images come to mind when you think about demons? Uh, is there a mistake that you might be prone to? Again, that kind of idea that demons exist in the villages, demons are dramatic, everything's a demon or nothing is a demon. Is there a mistake that you are prone to? Um, which correction, I talk about those two corrections, that kind of spiritual prayer, maybe Ephesians 6, uh, praying some of those armor of God, spiritual prayer. Again, I'll, I'll use this as an analogy, like like all this, the, the thing that's below all these prayer requests, Right? Or maybe that spiritual theology. I didn't get to maybe explain that as well as I wanted to. But this idea that it's not just about me and my sin forgiveness. It's also that Jesus has come to defeat demonic powers. Um, you know, again, that kind of maybe a little bit of shift or a balance in our the theology. Which might be more helpful for you. And again, not getting to the whole authority or at least getting deep enough into the authority. Is there an area in, of your life in which God does not have the authority? And that might be a little bit more personal, but something also to think about. So just take a few minutes discussing those. If you need to get up and move around or, or find a partner, um, and then uh, we'll, we'll do some group discussion. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's chilly. But it's fine.
I'll try. <laughs>